Philanthropy Is. Oh, hi, everybody. Welcome to Philanthropy Is, where we highlight good people doing great things all around the world. And I'm your host, Tiffany Rochelle, and our co-host, Lena Anderson. Hey, Lena. Hey. Yes. Today we are super, super, super excited to finally be able to have on an amazing group of philanthropists, activists, and um, just a wonderful group of people that we have been trying to get on for the last couple of weeks. So we are excited. We've done planes, trains, automobiles. And we are welcoming today No White Saviors. And they are joining us today from Uganda. One of the things that we will say is this is real content with real people. So if you've ever traveled to any part of Africa, you know that sometimes Wi-Fi may be an issue, but we are working through it. So you will get the realness and the realness. Mm-hmm. Hey, I'm <laughs> right, Lena? That's wow. right. Yes. Yeah. So today I'm so honored to welcome Kelsey and Olivia, um, two of the six man, six person, sorry, let me be PC, the six person team of No White Saviors. Yeah. So welcome, Olivia. Welcome, Kelsey. Oh, hey, I'm, I'm like so glad to be on this. I mean, it's just been like so hard to, to get to this point, but um we can't go that we've made it. Um, Olivia, Alasso, I am a 31-year-old, um, Uganda, but I always want to say that I'm a child of Africa, I'm a, a grandchild of Africa, and I'm a, a mom in Africa. I'm actually a social worker by profession, and I'm a team of the No White Savior, and I speak this proudly, and you know, with all the confidence in the world. Um, so a member of uh, Kusimama Africa. And um, um, just like I said, I'm a social work professional. And I'm so passionate about this work. Like, it's not that I, I'm a social worker, but this is what I always wanted to do when I was growing up. Um, I wanted to get a way to help people in my community. I wanted to help to the world. Um, there are so many people who can speak out for themselves. So I wanted to be a voice um, for my people, um, for my fellow Africans, for my fellow people all over the world. So um, I said, there. And uh, I leave an impact. I leave a smile. I leave a mark in the lives that I've, I've been through. I'm passionate about my work because my whole family supports it. Uh, son, Lebron James, he's five, but he believes that the ma- his mom is a strong woman who can hand out and discuss things which um, help the community. I, I won't say like much right now, but I'm so glad that I'm here 
um, I'm on this interview. I mean, we started out and we had strong feelings and we had long discussions about this, but this is finally we have reacted to what 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 would just talk between us. But this is now something that the world has to feel and is appreciating in return. So um, I'm, I'm, I'm a child of the African soul well, and I'm ready to share my different people and my different thoughts and my different insights on how I feel about my home Africa. Yeah, so I will let Kelsey tell you about herself um, as a way. For the most part, it was good. Um, there was just some okay. low, but for it, it did not, she didn't sound underwater. That's good. We are because we're not in the a pool of water, so <laughs> that's, that's, not the, that's the sound we're going for. We are we're going for above H two O right now <laughs> yes yes we are we're above sea level <laughs> well we are okay. we we're, we're doing what we have to and we're so excited to have you so kelsey thank you thank you first of all so much olivia for sharing um who you are as a proud child of africa um kelsey tell us a little bit about you so i am not a proud child of africa but i am a proud guest of africa um, I'm a proud guest of Uganda. Um, I'm a grateful guest of Africa and a grateful guest of Uganda. Um, came, I'm, I'm, 20, I'm a 20 year old um, white woman from, I think noting that I'm a white woman, especially on this team is really important because um, I feel and believe fully that, you know, my contribution to this could never um, as important as the black and African members on our team um, because their experiences are what fuel um, or what fuel we do. And anything I do is supportive of what they're doing and what they're saying. Um, and so it's an honor to get to be on this team. Um, Olivia, myself, and Sharon were kind of the first, the first to really talk about creating something. Um, and then we created, just a few months ago, created the Instagram account, No Way Figures. Um, a private Facebook group, and it's all kind of just gone from there. It's only been a few months that we've been active, and it's all kind of happened very quickly. Um, so I think we're kind of trying to play catch up with, you know, all of the requests and um, and just inquiries and things like that. It's a huge honor. So anytime we take long to answer emails or DMs or get, you know, get on a call like this to do an interview, it's not because we're not interested or grateful. It's just because we're trying to, like, adjust our lives to the demands of, of what this work is now becoming, um, which is really a really cool problem to have. Um, and so, yeah, I'm, yeah, said I'm a white woman from Philadelphia, um, 20, graduated um, just this last May with my master's in clinical social work, um, but I'm doing more macro um, level work clearly with what we're doing here. Clinical is like being coming a therapist, so I'm obviously not doing therapy or like any type of clinical work um, with my degree right now, but the activism I feel like is a part of 
who I've kind of been, you know, created to be um, because I really struggle entering into the in within the social welfare system in Uganda that are, you know, traditionally pretty oppressive and definitely dominated by whiteness. Um, and I have a problem keeping my mouth shut, which is pretty evident in the work that we do, um, <laughs> but definitely on my end. Um, and so I think that No White Saviors is um, essentially in a platform where I actually, you know, with the team get to express um, the, the, like, the issues and address the issues that I've seen in these systems for so long. Um, yeah, I don't know if there's anything else specific you want to know about us before we get into more of the nitty gritty of what we do. Um, so if you guys have any questions you want to ask Olivia or myself, we'd be happy to answer. Yeah. All right, definitely. Well, I think that the your introduction as a 28-year-old white woman in Uganda is a perfect segue to... Um, I mean, just the title of your work, the title of your group, No White no Saviors. White saviors. <laughs> I'm looking at your Instagram and I just, yeah. I, I, I want to, I want to read what your heading is on Instagram. And it says, we never said no white people. We just know you shouldn't be the hero of the story. If you're not uncomfortable, yeah, right. you're not listening. So I think that's a really a great place to start. Um, you mentioned mm. a little bit about you guys coming together. So how how did you all six of you actually end up coming together like who's your team and how long did that process take like did you start with um one project and then it grew or how did you guys form your team of no white saviors um well um this is olivia i think i'll answer that um actually the no white savior idea started back with me and Kelsey. Kelsey would write something on Facebook and then we would like discuss it up and then we have Sharon. So it started like a talk or like on the different things that white people do and we would often discuss it. So we like a few of us were like let's come up with something and it started like a hashtag like no white saviors. So we but we all along even before this, like we discussed it with Kelsey. I'm like, hey, I don't like some of the things why people do. So like, when we, everyone passionate about discussing this, so we say now that we, 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 we actually, we've seen this happen. Um, I for one, like I grew up in Ginger and it's a city that is, full of white people and I've lived to see them and I've, you know, grown to see the things that they've done. I've worked with them, you know, NGOs and I've seen the different things that are done. So Sharon is also um, a director of an NGO. So she has seen how it is to conflict like with, uh, with white people. She's black. So we've seen all these things and Kelsey as well. She is white, but she has seen this things and we said oh how do we do this uh, we need to come up and start discussing these issues so this is how the team started um, and then uh, after the three of us we started getting people who had the same feeling like Bruce uh, Kenyan who lives in Boston and um, 
and other Ugandan called Priscilla. She is actually involved in doing her masters. And um, this is how it all started. And then, but right now, our team is growing like Mobile because um, we, we, we believe this time I will use this word, but I never want to use it the gospel. It's, we're spreading the gospel <laughs> of the Norway Savior. So the team is growing. So Steve, that's how we started this job. And it, it is it is because we we had we had the passion to discuss these things that someone needed to talk about these things because they do happen and they're real. So this is how we started this job. Um yeah, yeah. That's that's interesting. It's just I wanna touch on um back to your roots. So Kelsey, were yeah. you there yeah. because you were doing social work? Like, how did you even end up in Uganda to have that conversation, to, to get into the conversation? Oh, yeah. I mean, it is a true tale of the white savior narrative and the white savior complex. It really, um, you know, 19, 20 year old Kelsey, second year of undergrad at Temple University in Philadelphia. I had kind of, you know, I was a really rough teenager. I had a really, a lot of rebellious years um, after having a pretty broken home life and a dad that died at four, when I was 14 years old. So I think I was really angry, uh, rebellious, and was like, I'm not going to go to high school. I'm going to almost fail out. Um, and then somehow turned it around my senior year, had a guidance counselor write me a really killer recommendation, and I got in Temple University in Philly. Um, and I, I think that you know, I, someone at the church I was going to, even though I wasn't really interested in religion or the evangelical church I'd grown up in, something about traveling to Uganda had really stood out to me. Um, I think there was just this, I, you know, saw any videos or content and had that very much like emotional pull that I think brings a lot of us here. Um, it's like purely based on this emotional white savior based, like, I need to be there. I need to be there to hold babies. I need to be there to whatever. And my like presence is inherently needed. Um, and so I always say that like in hindsight would have totally done things differently. And I think, um, I think that, you know, there's a way to acknowledge that like, yes, we've learned from our mistakes, but that doesn't mean we shouldn't talk about them openly and share why and how we would have done things differently. So the first time I was in Uganda at 19, 20 years old, um, I volunteered in an orphanage in Jinja, um, the same town I would later live in and meet Olivia, because um, that's where she's from. Uh, I was there working at an orphanage for three months and saw and noticed that most of the kids living in the orphanage um, had families. And so we would, this orphanage in particular, did international adoption, um, which at the time also thought that was cool, thought that was a good thing um, until I started to realize what that actually meant. Um, and so, yeah, so we created an NGO, um, we started helping to resettle kids from the orphanage by, you know, helping financially with the families, um, and then realized it wasn't sustainable and that really there needed to be work done to gatekeep and prevent kids from having to be separated from their families simply because of poverty. So that's how we created, um, when I say we, myself and another young white American woman um, created a bi-family center and it's still up and running. It's run by Ugandans, um, but we were the co-founders and we were the ones running it for quite a few years. And that was, it's few, I mean, I'm very open and I think that is the one thing I always say that I only bring, the only real thing I can bring to the table is my own 
contribution and implicit role within the white savior complex. Um, I very much, you know, it was encouraged in me by my church, by my family, by everyone around me to do this, um, to go at, right out of undergrad at 23, um, having, you know, only traveled and probably spent a year in Uganda total at that time. It was encouraged for me to go and set up an NGO in a foreign country. Um, something that I, you know, it sounds amazing. It sounds great until you really break it down and realize I would never have been permitted or encouraged to do that in Philadelphia. But it's like, for some reason, and we know why now, um, but it's, I mean, it's been a process to really unpack that and realize like just how much of white, uh, just how much of the white savior complex is rooted in my, pri in my privileges, both white and American. Um, and you know, yeah, like obviously there were, I think people struggle because it's, we're not saying there was no good done from the result. Obviously families were kept together. There was good work being done, but there were huge mistakes along the way and just awful power dynamics like Olivia actually worked the way we met we met very randomly um at a, a clinic we were bringing a kid from our center to the clinic she had her son there because he was getting treated for malaria it was when LeBron James Jr. was a very little guy <laughs> um and we met and she was a social worker and we were actually growing at the time and needed a new social worker so she came and worked for Abide um, we, we clicked like right away. Um, it was just one of those less, like universe or God things, however you want to look at it, um, where we just met, you know, at the right place at the right time and we worked together at Abide, but you know, there's been, she's been honest about quite a bit about what those power dynamics look like. And, you know, is it great to hear that like, I was in like, just like a shitty white person a lot of the time, like even <laughs> though I wasn't the worst. I was a shitty white person who made assumptions about what the staff wanted to eat or like what decision, how decisions should be made for the way that the center was run. And just so many things that it is just clear that it was an insertion of whiteness into the Ugandan narrative and to the, into a black community that I had no place coming and, and being the leader and being the one to tell Ugandans what their community needs. Um, so, so that's yeah. Okay, so that so, I don't know if that I know that was really long, and I don't know <laughs> if that was actually helpful. But no, no, it was because it actually um, created another question, and it's actually for you and Olivia both. Yeah. Um, yeah. What What would you say? Um, it's a, this is a two part question. So, what would you yeah. say? Um, mm -hmm. for you was the turning point where you started to realize one, that you were not a savior and you needed to defer to the people who were already in there and uh, uh. living, living there in Uganda. And then for you, Olivia, what was your yeah. first, what was your first, um, interactions and in working with Kelsey and how did you, mm. because it sounds like you became kind of a mentor and a guide to help reshape her thought about her privilege. So how did that, yeah. how did, like, where was that turning point? Because there was some point when you realized to quote unquote, your shitty white person behavior was not what was needed. Yeah. I think I'll go first on that one. And uh, just like Kelsey told you that we met in the hospital and I've taken my son but because I'm, I'm, I'm this kind of person like I saw a white you know woman with a black child and I'm like okay 
let me walk there and find out what what's up. So I'm like, hi, what's wrong with the baby? So that's how it started. And she's like, oh, the baby's sick. And so I'm like, what do you guys do? Like, okay, we, we, we keep children in families and we, oh. So I'm like, all right, I'll get some time and visit. And she's like, oh, what do you do? I'm like, I'm, I'm a social worker. So right now I'm not doing anything. So she's like, okay. Um, can you come and visit and see our work? And and that's how it all started. So I get into the Abide Family Center and um, I start working as a social worker. And, and everything, I won't say everything was perfect, but things went on well because um, one thing that I will say for sure is that um, Kelty and the co-founder, I won't speak, um, listened to us a lot and they really wanted to know most of the time like what we thought about some things and then like discussing about case notes or different clients will be the ones to lead this and I think um, that was nice. Um, then to some things like um, I think like I'm a straight person, so if I saw something wrong, I'll definitely stand and say no. So my first week of work was, um, I was like, okay, mm, what did they cook for lunch? Huh, only to see these rice and beans. I'm like, no, <laughs> I won't eat. What is there on the second day? It's the same thing. I'm like, no, I won't eat. So. So for the whole week, I did eat. So, and Kelsey was like, we didn't see you like eat food. I'm like, no, <laughs> me. I don't like that food. I didn't grow up eating like that. And, and, and they're like, what? You mean like, this is not what people enjoy. I'm like, no, like we need like different we have different types of local food, so the rice and beans, mm -mm. And, and they were like, okay, so we need to sit down and then discuss it with the people and see what food they really want. I mean, the response they gave it was not uh, actually a no, but they were so welcoming and like, okay, let's change. What do you guys want to eat? I'm like, um, it, it's the team, it's everyone. So. People changed the diet. There was kip, there was fish, there was, you know, eggs, there was, you know, so everything changed up. And I think um, I appreciated that. Um, the fact that I would hand and talk to them and say, no, guys, this is not how we want things to be. Like, we don't want to eat that. And they respected it. It because in some cases people will be like, oh, we are in Africa, so whatever comes is what you're supposed to eat. But they never treated us that way. Um, maybe what I would say was a turning point for me because um, at one point I left the organization, but I didn't leave it because I had um, a fight. Um, actually, the main reason why people was to look after my son, and uh, um, two, there's something that I saw that was, was so uncomfortable for me, and I wouldn't stand it. Like there was someone that there was someone who had joined the team, and she was so 
discriminated. She used herself as other workers. She used to mention like really funny statements. Um, and I knew that it's not that I wouldn't handle that situation, but I needed I needed to be me like that's not the kind of person like I didn't want to go all the way. So because I, I can't keep quiet when something like that is going on. I'll stand by and say, hey, don't talk to me like that. You know, so um, because I really needed my son, like to look out for my son, I said, okay, I won't strain this, but still, I, I went to Kelsey and told her, Kelsey, I don't like the way the new person treats the Ugandan staff. Like she shouts at them and, you know, she's always telling them to, she's like, Forcing around, like directing them to do, which has not been like our culture here of doing things. So I don't like it, and and she did address it in one of the meetings. Um, she addressed that and said, "No, I mean this should not happen. Things should change." But um, so basically, I I went off to look after my son. So there was nothing like so horrible about me leaving that was so life threatening or something. But I needed time with my son. And then at the same time, um, I, I, I didn't want to see that like happen. I'm like, I need to first move a little bit and see how things will be. So that's how it all would give. Um, yeah. That was my work experience with Kelsey. Okay, so it sounds like you, you the the interaction mm. was even mm. though, even though she came with the savior complex, mm. she also yeah. had enough um, humility and foresight to listen, and that's something that is missing a lot of times when organizations um, come into Absolutely. an area of need. And, and and I um, most of the time I don't say that. I don't want to show the world that um, she's 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 perfect, but I know that she's um, she's uh, she's she has a lot of humanity. Like the fact that she can come and say, "Olivia, hey, look, I'm part of the problem. I've been in this, and I'm still part of the problem." I'm like, "Whoa, who comes out and says that when they're white? No one. Like everyone will say, I am right. White people are always saying." White is right. <laughs> no one will stand and say that I've done wrong. So the fact that she can come out and feel that she's part of the problem um, makes me feel that um, she's a different person. I'll say this. I'm not scared of saying that because it, it takes it takes a lot of courage for a white person to stand up and say I'm part of the problem. You know, so. Um, I'm proud of her that she can come out and say that people can't stand, they can't, like whiteness is so strong, like when you believe in it, but she's different. So yeah, I know she's part of the problem, but she's different. That That's definitely very powerful. So Kelsey, like coming, coming in that and I have, I, you know, especially over here in the States, there's so much conversation now about, about white fragility, white privilege. So it could be easy. Yeah. Guilt, white guilt. Yeah. Right. Lena, white guilt. Right. So it couldn't have been easy to transform your conversation. So back to that question, what was your turning point and how, how hard was it for you? How, you know, what kind of 
what yeah. kind of challenge was it for you to say, yeah, I'm a problem? Yeah, I think that um, it's an awesome question. I just wanted to, I mean, thank first Olivia for the kind words, but also acknowledge the fact that like the, it's the like level of how messed up this all is, is that like, I'm showing basic humanity and like that is how bad whiteness and white fragility and racism really is and how it just speaks like the fact that it's that shocking to see a white person that actually cares about how my white caused violence and harm to the black people in my life. That is terrifying um, that that is so rare. Um, so, I mean, I, while I get, again, I appreciate the word and, um, but I mean, I do it because I love Olivia. I love the people in my life who have been able to call me out on stuff. And I've been lucky enough to have, you know, I think, um, we recently were introduced to a woman named April and she hit the nail on the head. She's a licensed clinical social worker in, in Colorado. And she hit the nail on the head by saying, you know, a lot of the thing that's missing in these conversations and why white people so many white people refuse to really acknowledge their privilege and the racism that we're complicit in is the fact that so many of us are not in close proximity and willing to even get to know and, and develop intimate relationships with people of color and especially black folks. And I think um, I just, that never, that hasn't really been my life. Um, it's been an ongoing um, process. I don't, you know, the turning point question is interesting because I don't know that there was ever just a switch that went off. I remember 21 years old sitting in an institutional racism class that was taught by a professor from Ghana, a man who I deeply respect, um, Professor Kumi. Um, and he sat, I remember when he sat us down, one of the first classes and, and asked us, you know, like about whether or not we felt like we were racist. And everyone in the class, like whether it was, you know, it's pretty diverse um, in terms of like, it was probably equal black and white and Temple's a pretty diverse campus. So you know, um, you, everyone just unanimously was like, no, he was like, no. I mean, everyone has, because racism is institutionalized and systemic, it is ingrained in you. And you don't, you can't sit, the, the worst thing you can do is have to sit there and try to prove how non-racist or outside of the racism you are. And so while that was my initial um, kind of entrance into really that part of the conversation, it's been years of really like ongoing process of like, this is, you know, like you're not the good white person. You're not the one who's above it because you have black friends or you don't, you know what I mean? Like you have a diverse circle around you. Um, if anything, you need to be even held more accountable when you have a partner that's black or a child that's biracial or, you know, friends that are black women. Um, I need to be held even more accountable because my microaggressions and um, the blindness of the things that I do that cause harm. Um, you know, if, if I really love the, the folks in my life um, who are black or people of color, then I need my, my, my feelings, my sensitivity, that should be, that should be very much put to the side. Um, and I should be willing to get uncomfortable. I should be willing to sit there and hear the hard things because I mean, isn't that what like relationship and, and like, like love is <laughs> like if I if I love if I really love you like if, if I'm if, if I don't I don't know I guess I can't I can't understand someone can really love someone and not acknowledge their experience 
and and to, to you know what I mean? Like I I don't I don't understand that. Um, so yeah, I I, I know that's a long winded um, explanation, but I I guess to summarize your my answer to your question would just be I it, it's an ongoing process. I I don't think I ever you ever really arrive. I think the switch on was started at you know at twenty one in in an undergrad class. Um, and it's been an ever evolving process, you know, years of thinking, you know, I'm going to look at this in more theoretically and be able to, you know, pinpoint systemic racism in America and the prison industrial complex and the new Jim Crow and how that like all like I, I can name all of that. I could talk about all of that. But my it's my role in how I've perpetuated racism, how I was using my whiteness as a weapon in my relationships, that that. Mm-hmm been the more new revelation um in the last few years so well i'd just like to say shout out to your professor whoever that was that taught that class and (laughs) then and then uh maybe we could get you to teach a class uh this is this is um powerful um for those of you who may just be joining in this is philanthropy is and we are having a deep conversation with two of the members of No White Saviors, which is really out here shouting out and breaking down the white savior complex, um, particularly that occurs in Africa, but it's all around the world. It's not, you know, it's not just there, but they are definitely shouting that out. Um, Lena, do you have a, you have a question for them? Yeah, I wanted to know, like, how much of this issue do you feel is correlated to the way the media is affixed with white saviors because I really do feel like there is a social and mental conditioning um, <clears throat> that we have in the states um, that is, a, is is synced in with the way the media and the way storylines and the way, you know what we're fed that would encourage and almost promote like you said that and educate white white people to go into other countries and feel like they can save those countries from the issues that are going on there. Do you want to go first? Me or you? Oh, she wants me. Okay. Um, (laughs) She's like nerd out on certain topics. We both, you know. (laughs) Um, No, the media, this is a really important question. And I have a recommendation um, how there's a... um, a really important essay. Um, I think the man, the guy who wrote it is from Nigeria, and I forgive me for not remembering. It's been a few years since I read it, um, but it's called "How How Not to Write About Africa." Um, mm. And I'll say it again: it's "How Not to Write About Africa." If you Google it, a quick Google search would bring it up. Um, but I couldn't recommend that more for your followers um, and for you guys if you haven't read it, um, because it really <laughs> it's. It's it's satirical um, and so poignant in the sense of like how how the white hero has been positioned, you know, not recent. I mean, it's been for a long time. Um, this has been going on for quite a while, and I think the social media age has only amplified because people. It's no longer just books and movies and TV shows. It's now every single person can be a white savior and be praised for what they're doing with, you know, the click of an Instagram post or a tweet or a Facebook or a blog. Um, And so I think, yeah, I think that we're looking at um, 
just it, the, the white savior complex has always been there. It's just now shifted and become more visible, um, you know, across the world. And I think that's why we've been able to join at this point in time um, and have such a, I don't know, just such an interesting reaction by people because I don't know that anyone's ever really created a platform, at least on social media, that discussed, you know, what we discussed in the way that we discuss it. And so, so, so yeah, we've we've looked at a lot of the way the you know I think the white that's one of the reasons if you I think even to talk about how white saviorism has been inbred in movies you look at then like I would almost present the flip side and look at the Black Panther film and how critical and important that was um, because it's I mean again it shouldn't have been so shocking to see a movie where that was you know based in Africa and African people were the heroes and African civilization was you know elevated and like more developed and more advanced than the rest of the world. And I think it definitely, I mean, it shows the Africa that would have happened had we not raped, pillaged, and stolen so many of the continent's people. Um, and so, yeah, I mean, whew, I, I could, I think diving into the whole, the way that the white saviorism is inbred into um, media is a really important conversation. We could almost have a whole a whole separate um, episode of your podcast on it, but I want to give this uh, to Olivia and see if she can uh, Here she goes. <laughs> um, hey, this is Olivia. Well, I think I have some few thoughts on that because most of it, Kelsey has said it, but I feel that um, social media has taken over the white, the whiteness because um, just as for one, Just that someone had to take pictures around the people they meet and they post it on the Hold internet on, and like, oh, nice I met this guy, took these pictures, most of the time without their consent. So, and, and that is something trendy, like that is something to talk about. But in the actor sense, it's really so white. Like, I mean, you've met quiet and humble people in Africa, and what do you pay them back with? You pay them by taking their pictures and you know, saturating them all over the world and you know. Um, so I think um, um, what I will also say, um, uh, the, the, the social media has been used in. Um, sometimes I'm, I tell Kelsey that mm, I don't like social media. She's like, why? And I'm like, because just look at the photos of African children everywhere, and they're so miserable. And mm -hmm. um, yeah, you know, they get the pictures of children that and um, the lowest like moments and that's that's the face right. of Africa. That's the face of hunger. So like sometimes I'm like, why? This doesn't need to be like that. Like if we'll like make an exchange and say, Let's go to America or anywhere in part of the world, take a picture of a baby and then you'll be like, This is the face of America and they're all Daddy and all that. So I think, <laughs> right? They do that with the, a lot of things. It's a lot of that going on. Yeah, I mean, you, you can't even do that. Like you can't. But I, I don't know why. If you can't do something back in your home, you do it here because this is our home, and um, we deserve like respect. So it, it's it's just 
it's crazy that sometimes I feel the way the social media, like, you know, brings out these issues. I'm like, oh, can I stop this? But, you know, this is, this is the campaign that we are on. Um, this is what we are advocating for. Like, if you, like, portraying the stories of Africa, they should be what we want them to do, not what they want them to be. Like, come to Uganda. Take a picture at Acacia Mall and say, this is the first of Uganda. I'm like, wow, that would be different to the world. Everyone would be like, wow, that is the face of Uganda. But just don't take a picture. It's so miserable. And you say, oh, this is the face of Uganda or this is the face of Africa or something. So I sometimes have mixed feelings about social media when it comes to that. But then it also comes with good things because it's because of social media that um, our work has been, it's, it's being seen all over the world. And yeah, but here, Sometimes I have my issues because I feel that it's been misused by some people. But yeah, that's that's it. Well, I, I definitely thank you, <laughs> thank you for that, Olivia and Kelsey. But I, I, I would like to weigh in. Um, I think I'm the senior member of this conversation, and just, just yeah. <laughs> you know, I came from an era before social media, right? And literally, mm-hmm. when I was a kid. All of the commercials yeah. about mm-hmm. as poor babies with flies on their face and please give to Africa, right? So I was fortunate. Mm-hmm. My parents believed in travel and believed in studying, and we read encyclopedias. So and we watched National Geographic and PBS all the time. So we had the experience of being able to say, "Oh, that's not just it." We had friends who were from Africa. So at a young age, I was able to experience a different different interaction with Africa other than what they showed on television. So fast forward to mm. now where mm. everything is about sensationalization. Like everything is sensationalized. So there, you know, the term poverty porn, especially, mm. you know, when people are doing charitable works, and they're told you need to tell stories about the places that you're going. It's far easier to tell a story about poor, poor, poor African children or poor, poor, poor African people who can't do anything versus the other side of the narrative. And I'm particularly sensitive and passionate about that because I do work in South Africa. I do. I launched an academy with with young people there and I don't care for social media either, right? But it's a necessary (laughs) evil, but I'm very particular about how I represent my work. So you won't find, I take pictures in villages, but I don't share those on social media because I'm not interested in pushing the, the, the poverty conversation because my students are brilliant. They're young, they're innovative. They're, you know, they're, they're ready to do things. They just may not have the money to do it, but it doesn't mean that they don't have beauty and and access to beautiful things and that they aren't beautiful people with beautiful experiences. So that's a tremendous part of a conversation that I, I think people need to definitely be aware of. And you're bringing awareness to it is, is powerful. Um, just going forward, I, I have to go back to your quote again. We never said no white people. We just said you can't be the hero. And so while this interview isn't 
exclusively about Kelsey, I think that it's important that we note and 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 show how you guys are actually doing a perfect example of getting it done. How like I, I honestly I didn't know there was a white person in No White Saviors until we started doing this interview. And you obviously are, are creating a model of how to do it right. So in that space, I do want to ask Kelsey another question. Are there times, because you've obviously been doing this work for a while and you've been working with this group for a while, are there, are you still triggered or, or hurt by certain conversations or, or do you still deal with white guilt? Like, does it lessen? Has it changed for you coming into um, the space doing this work? Yeah, I think it's changed. Um, I don't think it is go, it goes away completely, but I think that um, the urgency and the, just how pressing it is for us to be having these hard conversations and how, like, I've reflected and been held accountable about the times when I've been challenged by friends who are mainly black women, um, especially my like close friends that are black women in the US, um, because that's where the like most of my deconstruction um, of my whiteness and of the white savior complex and all of that has come, you know, into play. And a lot of it came, you know, unpacking that in the US, um, both before and after living in Uganda. Um, and so I think, yeah, I think it's just changed over time. Um, but it definitely, I think the biggest thing um, was realizing that like, the times that I've centered myself and made it about me was just a product of, of my whiteness and white fragility and in centering white feelings. And um, once you really realize like how divisive and how distracting that is um, and what exactly is it's what's playing out in, you know, it is, is the very thing that you claim to be trying to unpack and deconstruct and challenge in yourself. So Yeah, I don't, I would say it just looks for just like an increasing desire to be held accountable and to like be challenged. And it, it's never, there's never a point where it's like, yeah, it feels good to be challenged about some like really awful or blind and just ignorant thing I did as a white person, but it does, um, it, 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 you just become more, it becomes more important to you. Um, it's not, it's not like an easy, fun, nice thing, but it's like, it's critical and it's important and it's what needs to be done. Um, yeah, I hope that made sense. <laughs> no, it, it definitely does. Um, and I would say even for a person who's not a white person, um, before we started this interview, I know I stated that sometimes my PC is not in place. Like <laughs> I'm, sometimes I'm not politically correct. And even as a black woman, I want to be responsible with what I say, but when somebody comes for you, no matter who you are as a human being, nobody wants to be called out. Like it's hard. Yeah. It's really hard. And so just, um, thank you and, and thank live and, and, and the rest of the group for having the foresight and having the, the compassion and the space to say, listen, we're going to bring you in. We're going to hold you accountable, but we're also going to allow you to help shape this future narrative and help us get the information out. 
Um, is that is that how you feel yeah. about it, Liv? Yeah. Yeah. Um, I think um, Just speak up because I don't regret like having calcium or now TM because I always believe in one thing that whether black or white, no one is perfect. Um, we also do mistakes every day as black people. So, and I'm sure, and um, I believe that we should also be accountable for some of the things that we have done. It's, it's not pushing it to only white people. Um, so having Kelsey on our team is to show people that uh, as black people, we have no hate for white people. We don't. And we want to show the world that there are still people who believe that um, whiteness has affected black people. And, um, and there's time to always change. And it's human to accept when you go wrong. Like in most cases, like whiteness just means you're so superior. So um, we break it down because girls is on our team. That shows that there's nothing like being superior and being white. So um, I sometimes, I don't feel offended, but it gives me the hope as a black person that there's someone who really feels that they're accountable and there's someone who feels they're part of the problem and there's, you know, they've been part of the problem and they are still part of the problem because of, mm. you know, being white. So having her in this space is, is just okay for us. We, we actually have no, um, hesitations we in fact you brought it up in a good way because we've been having so many people attack Kelsey um most of the time when we read and we write about some few things that we feel um uncomfortable people will run out to say it is Kelsey who has written that so that leaves us wondering like oh so us black people can't really do something good we can't um we can't write, we can't discuss issues, we can't be brilliant. So, um, yeah, but having her on our team is, is the best for me and the rest of the team have no regrets. Um, we're moving forward with her and we know we shall make it together. And I think it's like, it's really important to also note that like, I'm, I'm a, I'm a guest within the work that they're doing. Like, it's not, my role is not necessary. Yeah. Um, my role, like, this group does not need a white person to validate what's, like, what's going on, mm -hmm. right? Like, they, their work and their voice is valuable. And if anything, there's been a lot of times where I've thought, man, I feel like my, any, like, my presence or any white presence would be a hindrance to this work. Um, and so... I think there's there's good and bad, right? Like I think with this dynamic, there's good and bad that comes with it. Um, there is there are some you know there's some practical skill sets like in terms of like making the images and and like how to utilize social media and stuff like that. That's a background that I have, so I've been able to take with alongside of them take my skill set and things mm. that I've been able to develop over time and apply it to the message and the experiences that they've had and so we've worked it like really is a really well-balanced partnership so far um but that doesn't mean it can't come without 
you know, issues within power dynamics and issues within, you know, um, me inserting my whiteness um, mm. and, and, and distracting. Like, I think for sure and know for sure that there will be and should be times where the members of the group who are Black and African should get to have time to talk about things without, you know, a white person present. Because there are certain things that I feel like no matter how, you know, aware mm. or conscious of some of this stuff I may be, mm. there there is this because of just the level of trauma and pain that we have caused as white people to black communities. Like we have to be aware of the fact that our presence is a hindrance in, in, a lot of time in, in the healing process. Um, that's why a lot of times when you see like a white therapist um, or mental health worker take on, you know, like, like let's say a, a white therapist takes on a, a black woman in America. And, and I, we've heard stories from a woman named April that we recently connected with who's an LCSW about like those therapists just completely invalidating the experiences of black women who came to them for therapy um, and just not even acknowledging the trauma and trying to like just completely ignore and change the subject when racism is brought up. So those are things, again, no matter how conscious or aware yeah. you are, that's going to happen. Um, and so we have to be aware no matter, again, I think to, no matter how how aware I am yeah just aware of the fact mm. that there are some things that are not for us and that's a really yeah. hard thing for a lot of white people to hear that some things are just not for us and the can time you say and, that again can you say that again that's something that's like yeah, a real, it is real hard yeah it's real hard for white people to accept that there are some things that are just not for us yeah and because everything in the world is made for white people um down to band-aids and barbie dolls um so not band-aids and barbie dolls i love that <laughs> yeah i mean it's really yeah, like a bunch of no, once you look no black barbie dolls i mean there are but there's like two right like yeah. if you go to the store like, right. you might find two next to like a hundred or five hundred you know white mm -hmm. dolls and so and let you find a barbie doll with natural hair not relaxed you know weaves like that's what like the European beauty standards are even perpetuated in toys for children. Um, and so, yeah, I think that is really something that white people, we struggle with not, um, not being able yeah. to just acknowledge and accept that some things are not for us. Mm. And so the time and day, like I've already, I've, you know, it, being completely transparent, I love the work we're doing and I feel very attached to it, but I've had to really like tell myself, like, look, Kelsey, you need to be fine to walk away from this when it's time to walk away from this because it should, it can be, and it is, and it should be a black and African led initiative. <laughs> so. So with that, is there, is there such a thing as a, a no black saviors or no black American saviors when it, when it relates to the work that's being done in Africa? Because I know there's, a, there's sometimes, um, as a, as a black as an African American here in America, there's been some some issues where we don't necessarily understand the African culture as well. So, is there such a thing as a no black American savior? Mm, well, I think I'll just try to um, to give you this definition because, like, in most times I've seen. Um, Black Americans coming into Africa, but they fit in so quickly. I'm not speaking because I'm a black person, but they fit in so 
we 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 are all the same. I mean, when they get here, there is nothing like um, I'm a Black American. So and they fit in our community so well, and and they appreciate that. And and most people, most black, like when they come to Africa, they know that I'm coming home. I'm coming to get to find out things that I didn't know about my, you know, right. my race. So um, I, I won't say that um, there is no. Of course, there's some black, um, like Americans, who are now rooted in two white names, but we've not seen that so much on the African continent when they visit us. Right. Um, yeah, it's. It, it's really different. You can't relate it to the white people because when, when a black American comes to, let's say Uganda, I've met some of them, they say, oh, I'm home. I feel comfortable. I mean, I've never been this comfortable in America than, you know, like right now right. that I'm in Uganda. I feel I'm treated like a real, you know, human being. Right. So I think whiteness, I'll, I'll not like try to judge on that, but I believe like the black people, yes, it's um. There's some people who are rooted in that whiteness who can't throw that out, but it's not compared to, to, right. to the white people. Yeah. And, you know, um, think, I'm sorry, go ahead. Go ahead. No, no, you guys go. You, yeah. No, like Tiffany, you would. Go ahead, Liv. You froze up. I was just going to say, I feel like. I feel like you would have a very good like response to this to being mm. a black American. I'm sure you've like, I think you kind of, kind of hinted at it yesterday, but mm. diving deeper into what you've seen both in yourself and in other people. Um, yeah, definitely. Um, experience and perspective play a huge part in the way someone comes into any situation. Mm -hmm. And so I had the wonderful experience of being integrated because I grew up by a university that there were professors from all over the world, from Israel, from Nigeria, from France. And so all their kids came to school with us. So I had the really great experience of being around cultures, different cultures when I was young. So for me, a Nigerian was a young, um, beautiful girl named Obi who just wanted to be my friend in the second grade sitting next to me. And, and, and a girl who named Sandra Ifiolati who went to school with me all the way through high school and, um, and showed me, that's what, that's what my vision of Africa was, which was so different in the seventies when all they were showing us was babies with flies on their eyes. And so um, I think it's important that people get into the habit of checking their perspective and their experience. Right. And when they come into a space to say, okay, this isn't my normal experience. What do I get to learn here? Or, or how do I get to function or operate in this space. And so I think as black people, we have a certain advantage because we're used to adapting all of the time. Right. We are constantly <laughs> changing and adapting who we are in spaces as a matter of survival. Right. And so since we're trying to survive, when we get to a space, our first thing to do is assess it. Right now. Um, Coming to Africa, I'm, I'm always an open book. And when I, when I came to South Africa, because South Africa is where I worked, I haven't been to Uganda yet, but I'm hoping to get there soon. 
um, I just came knowing that what they showed me in America wasn't the truth. Like I didn't know what I would see, but in my heart and in my, my logic, I knew that what I saw in America would not be the truth. Yep. Okay. About how as black women, as black people, we come into any um, situation and we just, we, we have to assess because we need to survive. Okay. So the advantage I think for any black person, for most black people um, coming to Africa, like I said, is that our habit in any space is we have to assess because we have to know what we're up against because we already know the options and, and the opportunities for us to be hurt or damaged are very real. So we have to pay attention. So coming in, um, coming into Africa, South Africa, any part, you know, being open is key. And then for me personally, my experience was once I got there and I was able to just see the beauty of what knowing where you come from looks like, because that's all, that's what I always tell my friends. If they, if they ask me the biggest difference between an African and African-American, I say, I'll say it all day, hands down. Africans know where they're from. And the power of knowing where you're from and having a strong identity, no matter how poor you are, no matter how uneducated you are, the pride of knowing your roots and the power of knowing your roots is, is, um, is, is just, it's, it's priceless. And so I've traveled with people who were educated blacks and what I saw was a struggle, a struggle to adjust because they had drunk the American Kool-Aid where of running farther, jumping higher, being the most educated, being the most, you know, as a black person, having that pressure um, as a black American, having the pressure of having to always perform to a certain standard based on a title and a position. And then to come to the continent and people are like, we don't care. Like there's smart people over here too. And we have degrees too. What do you have for me? Like, are you going to help? Are you going to love? Like, I'm gonna love you, my brother and my sister, <laughs> you know? So that, that's what I would say, but I, I've, I've still, I'm still very cautious in my representation and in what I, and what I say and I do and how I represent my students, how I represent my interactions. I mean, I literally have a whole family on in South Africa. I have a, I have a mother and a father. I have sisters and brothers. I have a house. So, so you know, I didn't buy it, but I have a home. And that's the beauty of coming home to the continent as a Black person. That's what I feel. Mm-hmm. Nice. Um, switching up just a little bit, mm-hmm. uh, there's a couple things. So on a business aspect, mm. your, your, um, your social media runs seamlessly. Like it's, it's popping. Your social media is popping <laughs> as it would say. So I know that you all are, are in different locations, different time zones, different spaces. How do you coordinate that so well and, and, and make sure to convey, because we, I'm struggling. I'm telling you, I will struggle <laughs> social media. So how do you guys 
um, do that as a business? And is there a business side of no, no, no white saviors? Um, like business side, like how we manage, like to keep our Instagram running. Oh, um, take turns. Um, fast. I think we are passionate people about what we're doing, and um, we we're so committed. Like we and everyone really wants to contribute and stand in for the other. So as we are doing this here in Uganda some people are doing something else on the Instagram. So it's, it's because it is a team, we share everything. We share all our passwords. And, and if there's need for someone to really upload something, um, that's okay. That's fine. We never restrict that. But the biggest, I, I think, what keeps us together and running is the commitment we have as a team. It doesn't matter where... Oh, the other members are oh, we have people in, in America, in Finland, us here in Uganda, but we always have time and we make these group calls and we discuss on our work and say, how are we moving forward on this? So, um, and we really take time because it's commitment. We can have like a call of three hours. Yeah, that long. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so we discuss it and um, in most time or most times all these calls are really important because we always have a way forward on something and i think what also makes us um that flexible is that as a team everyone has their own skill set so when we combine them together then we make a force we make it work so um that's how we keep like i think uh, running a group like this what's so important is the commitment because if people are not committed, then you can't do this. So I think we are passionate and our commitment, like we put in from the start, um, keeps us going. And um, we believe that this is a platform to advocate, discuss. So when we get in different like questions from people, uh, we ask them, this is also one way of saying commitment. So. Uh, I think when someone asks a question and they get an answer, they'll be like, well, ah, this guy's got time for me. So I should, like, I should appreciate, like, they, they care for me. They're so busy, but they still have some time to answer my question. And they're part of me changing if I'm white or improving on how I'm seeing my whiteness and how I'm improving. So that is, that is it. What is so important is the commitment that we have as a group. That is what is keeping us forward. Yeah. And then the communication, like, between ourselves. We have our different uh, WhatsApp groups as a team. And we're always updating on each and everything that we do. So if we're in Uganda and we have this group call, definitely the group has to know about this. So um, if we have an appointment with someone on, on Instagram or something, the group... The... Um so what is the ultimate um, goal of mm. No White Saviors? So you're, you used a word which we, we um, at Philanthropy is, we say philanthropy is advocacy, it's movement, it's, you know, it's more than a check. So I heard you use the word advocacy, but we want to know what is your ultimate, what is the goal of No, no White Saviors? 
Oh, we lost them. No, no, no. We have, we value you. It's just that mm. we, it's our phones are dying and then the internet dies and then we, we care about you, but like, it's just, <laughs> it's, not, it's like a lot of stress for us. <laughs> to make I got it. it got it. Got it. Um, so, uh, so just so with that, we were asking, what is the ultimate goal in the white saviors? Um, what do you think? Mm, well, I think um, our goal is to see um, as a team to see that this platform addresses um, uh, the whiteness that is one. Uh, because on so many occasions, like no one has had a platform to discuss such details. Um, I think like we are handling the most difficult things to talk about, like way back ages. No one has discussed this. So we want this platform to grow throughout the world. Like we want people to be like able to stand up and talk about this. Um, we're not looking at only the African continent, but we're looking at the whole world, like this is a need to discuss this, so that is what we want to see, that the platform grows bigger and bigger. To um, express themselves, and we also, there'll be change. I know it won't come like right now, but we are leaving, we will leave a legacy behind that we have tried to put a word out there on whiteness, our children, our, you know, they'll join from here. So this struggle doesn't stop here. It will go for generations. It will go, we're not just starting this to end today, but we want this to leave as a legacy that um, our parents or our sisters tried this out. So we would, let's continue and see where it pushes us. Of course, it can't stop now, but I believe that we will leave this behind and people will take it over. And yeah. who knows? Yeah, at one point, um, that might be, you know, equality between the black people and the white people sometime. You know, it can't come right now, but we believe if, if we push, if we move the struggle and like continue, then there will be change in the world. That's what we want. And um, I'll speak on behalf of what I would wish to see on the African continent is that I would wish to see that Africans lead their movements because way back, white people have dominated our continent, you know, from slave trade, from apartheid. So I want to see that in the like original way of black people leading in everything. Um, that's what I want to see. And then I want to see that there is a reduction in organizations that are owned by white people. I'll speak this and I'll go and record. This is what I want to see in the future. Like so many people come to Africa and say they're solving our problems, but yet back home, they still have the same problems. And when are they going to leave us to stand and do these things on our own? You know, I, I want to see that stop. And then I want to see I want to see adoptions really reduce. Africa, uh -oh. like taking away our children, and I want to see that stop. I want to see the story of Africa change in the way it's portrayed. 
on the photos, yes. on, with books, in everything. Like, I wanted change. That is my dream as, as a person. Like, that's what I want for my continent. Like, I want people to get back to the normal way of being happy and doing the things that they used to do without, with no influence of white people in, in it. That's what I want to see. I want to see change on our continent. That is what I die for as me. So I know it won't come, but I know someday we'll be mentioned that we're part of this struggle to, to get You're leading by example. We are claiming it. Africa belongs to us, but we are still claiming it. So it's it's still a process again. It has gone back to, to the ancient days of colonialism. But I know that it belongs to us, but we are still claiming for it. We want it back. We want our continent back. It should be given back to us. But how do we get it back? While doing what you're doing, you're leading by example. Well, definitely, yes. yes. The work that you're doing is, is what's needed because the one thing that I've learned is that somebody has to start. Somebody has to start. And just by the fact that you are an African woman in a space where you are making your voice heard and you are making sure that you're making it clear, you're expanding the message and you're inclusive. As, and many people will look at no white saviors as being divisive, but you're definitely not a divisive group. You're very no. inclusive and you're very clear, uh, you know, so being a part of the change and you're on that transition team. And I'm sure that you will see at least the beginning of the change that you are truthfully a fundamental part of. Um, I know that we are going to talk again because we have to have a whole conversation about these organizations that <laughs> have come to the country. And, and I know that you've been very vocal in calling them out. Right. Even at risk to your own security at your own you know the expense of your own comfort and safety and so um i definitely look forward to having um future conversations with yeah. so that we can talk about this stuff because no. philanthropy is all this stuff the good the bad exactly. and, and more people need to hear these stories more people need to hear your stories right. and i'm so honored that you that you guys literally just spent time with us. Like, right. yeah. this is amazing. Yeah. We're also happy. Like we, we, you know, we had time to discuss with people and I normally tell people one thing that when you start talking to the no white savior team, um, we request you to become an ambassador wherever you are. And preach the gospel. That's what I always tell people. It shouldn't stop here. You should preach it out there and let us make this work. Yeah. Together. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah, but it was beautiful like being around your people and talking to you. Um and getting things together. It was so hard, like we had no power, like we you know, everything, but I think we've managed to talk to you guys and I think that's a um all right so that this has been an amazing interview with no white saviors an amazing and powerful group of millennials and 
a cross culture of Africans and Americans who are working together to bring to light the issue of white saviorism, its effect on the continent of Africa, specifically in Uganda and other places, but also giving us a space to think about how our work and the reason for the work that we do is being received and how it affects the people that we are hoping to serve. So please follow No White Saviors on Instagram. You check them out on Twitter as well. And look forward to hearing much, much more from them. If you're interested in learning, definitely a space you want to be in. I'm Tiffany Rochelle. I'm Lena Anderson. And thank you for joining us on Philanthropy Is. If you're interested in being a guest, make sure that you contact us at... We can hit us up on Gmail at philanthropyis.world at gmail.com or you can go to our website philanthropyis.world and um, reach out to us. All right. Thank you guys for tuning in and we hope to see you next week on Philanthropy Is. Bye. Philanthropy Is.